Good day and welcome to the Cincy Slangin' Bearcat Podcast. I'm Coomer, joined by Mitch from Canada. Mitch, good to have you on, buddy. Hello, hello, hello. I'm uh, happy to be here. and uh, always glad to be a last-minute substitution. <laughs> <laughs> the man, the myth, the legend has, uh, has returned. And before hopping on here, we did have a late scratch. Hummer, Hummer's a busy guy. Life is, comes at you fast uh, when you succeed in your in your career and, and things go well for you. But I also I also need to just say that you know we're not on we're not on great terms right now. Um, it might be it's probably about that time I start doing the canvassing, start having people try out for this co-hosting position for me, and uh, we'll 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 see what happens. I don't that's that's not for the podcast. That's that's neither here nor there. But I did want to have someone on, um, and I think I found the perfect person in you, Mitch, to talk about Cincinnati Bearcats basketball. Your history with the program is well documented. For anybody who is not aware of your journey to UC fandom, go back through the archives and, and look into how Mitch became a Cincinnati Bearcat basketball fan. But here we are, Mitch, and the Bearcats are 16 and 8. They are currently fifth in the American Athletic Conference, but only about a game out of second place. They've won two games in a row, an impressive uh, dismantling of Tulsa, which is a pretty you know putrid opponent, so we won't give them too much credit for that. But then they welcomed Central Florida to town and went up 16 early in the second half, held on for a 73-64 victory. Where are you at with this team? This is, it's been a bit of a whirlwind these first, this first year and a half with Wes Miller, but where are you at right now with the Cincinnati Bearcats as they, as they head into this home stretch in American athletic play? Yeah, no, nice to, nice way to tee it up there. You know, I'm definitely seeing a light at the end of the tunnel, I think is the best way to start off. Um, I would have felt a lot better about that Tulsa win at Wichita State, not also destroyed them earlier today. Um, <laughs> but that's neither, neither here or there. Um, you know, I think it's just really impressive and, you know, we're at least doing a really good job against the teams that we're supposed to beat, um, which in a transition year, which I think that's fair to say this is, um, that is something to be proud of, um, because I think our margin of victory against not so great teams, it's gotta be around 10 plus points at, at this point in the season. Like we're not just beating them. We're, we're typically kind of laying it on them. Um, and you know, I think your, your and I's biggest gripe about the season and kind of Wes Miller's tenure so far is that when it comes to the, the real big opponents, we're not showing up or we're not prepared. Um, but I mean, that Houston game was great. And I, I think an argument could be made that we could have won that game if a few things went differently. Um, I know even watching it, there was got to say five to seven shots that just hung on the rim. And if we, we had a few bounces here or there, you know, I think we easily win that game. So um just seeing a lot of positive signs going in the right direction lately um and I especially kind of want to shout out one guy Jeremiah Davenport who I know has been our biggest gripe uh throughout the season in terms of Wes Miller kind of letting it fly with him um but I'm seeing a lot more ball movement with him and a lot more buy-in lately um which I think is is what we've been asking the whole time for which is just to simply kind of coach his um irrational confidence <laughs> and so um you know just seeing some some really good things lately and um and I just gotta shut up my man Vic Lockin he is incredible so you know that's where I'm at with the team right now and I obviously want to dive into a few more things with you but um feeling a lot better at this point than I was two months ago so 
I, that's kind of a great way to put it. And I think there's a lot of different ways we can take this and, and directions we can go. But I, I'd say if you if you rewind the clock back to the last loss against Houston, which was um, a home defeat, 72 to 59. It was another game against, you know, a Q1 quality opponent. Obviously, Houston's one of the best teams in the country. So it's a very difficult measuring stick when you go from playing East Carolina or SMU to them playing Houston. Like there's a there's a lot of good teams in between there that we're not getting opportunities against because of the conference we play in. That said, that was another game against a, a high tier opponent where came out flat fell into a big deficit, never really seemed to be in the game. In fact, I recall the highlight of the game being the Bearcats cutting the deficit from 20 to 10 in the second half. You know, it's just, it, it felt like more of the same, an inability to show up in big games. Since then, however, we ended up ripping off three straight against inferior opponents. We don't have to get into that. They then, they drop a game against Memphis. They dropped that, that road game against Houston. That game against Houston was probably the best performance of the West Miller era since their performance against Illinois in 2021. Um, it's been it's been tough sledding, but that was the first game where there was actually they came out firing, caught fire in the first half, and I would say a lot of the lead had to do with the fact that we were just hot from three. Yeah. But in the second half, you say we we you know it's controversial to say we we could have won the game i would say we probably should have won that game based on the lead we had based on how houston was playing and you know you're right a couple of shots go our way um maybe a little better execution down the stretch that's a very winnable game but they they didn't let that loss throw them off course they they followed that up with an extremely impressive win against tulsa impressive might not be the wrong word but it's they were they were it was a thorough beating Right. There was never in doubt. It was a a low stress game for a fan. And then another kind of start to finish, almost start to finish performance against UCF. So I I do think we're starting to see signs of things coalescing for Wes Miller and the team. I think he's found his rhythm and maybe a little more confidence as a coach to say, hey, if you're not cutting it on the court, I'm going to leave you on the pine. You know, I think his his benching of Kalua Zikpe early in the season was a good sign for what's come. Because he's that was that was a sign of Wes Miller saying, I'm not going to just give you charity minutes. If you're not contributing and you're an actual liability on the court, uh, we're going to bench you. And the same thing happened with Jared Hensley, who's, you know, I people point to this guy as, as though there's a lot of promise. There just frankly isn't. You know, there's more games where he struggled on the court than not. And so that was another situation where Wes Miller is making the call that has to be made that benefits the team. And then I, I'm going to echo the same sentiment you have. I think the 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 favorable play from Jeremiah Davenport is a recent development. I think you're talking like last two games where I I've seen less selfish shots. I've seen more extra passes. Even if we're not making the, the shots off those passes, he's making passes to open guys that makes the, and it's, he's making them quickly. Like these aren't just like, Hey, let me pump fake and see if I can get my shot first. No, he's not even looking for the shot, making that extra pass. He is going to still take some shots. That That's all good. But th- that simple development in the last two games makes a big difference. And I'm hoping it sticks for the rest of the season. Because if it does, he becomes a much more effective player for us. A, less, a, a much less destructive player for the Bearcats. Oh, oh yeah. And it, it's working too, right? Because you got to think people that have played against JD for the past two, three years, 
they know that he's just looking to shoot. So the second he gets it in a spot where he could be shooting and he makes that decisive pass, the guy he's passing it to is generally wide open. And if he's getting it to a nollie or, you know, someone who's more capable, frankly, of hitting that shot, um, that's a great thing for us. And, and I think if he can keep that up down the stretch, like the way we're trending, you know, we are a legitimate threat to get to the, the American final. And I mean, like I say, in a transition year, that's something to be proud of. Um, and, and there is something to be said of just taking care of business. Right. And I think that team's done that really well this year because in college basketball, it's hard to win a game, you know, doesn't matter. The opponent doesn't matter. The conference, any game is at most 60, 40, you know, it, it's tough to win these games and it's tough to win them decisively. And we've taken care of business and I'm kind of throwing out November and maybe early December, but you know, in the past two months, basically we we've been doing what we need to do. And like you said, we're just not quite showing up against the quality components, but you know, we're seeing that going in the right direction. And um, even the Illinois win, you know, that was a big one, but I, I talked that up to a few different things, right? It was Kofi's first game back. I think they shot like 25% from three in like, it wasn't a lot of things that we were doing, right. It felt like we kind of caught an opponent in a bad spot. Um, but, you know, I think this year is like you say, it's a decisive point in West Miller's tenure. And if we can kind of carry that momentum, you know, I, I know social media engagement is, um, can leave a lot to be desired, but, you know, we have the recruits pretty excited to be coming here. Um, and I don't know if you watched the recent press conferences, but uh, Nolly and JD left the podium and then came back to say, by the way, Wes Miller is one of the best coaches in the country. And, you know, I'm, I'm conflicted on these things because, you know, part of me says that Nolly likes West so much because he has the freedom to do what he wants, which is offensively a bit of a, um, you know, not the most cleanly executed offense, to be fair at times, you know, people get their shots, even if, if, if they're not the best shots. Um, so I'm sure a player who has, you know, a lot of confidence likes that freedom. You know, I'm not sure if Nick would be giving Nolly the same freedom he has, but, um, you know, the players liking him and especially in the NIL era, era and, you know, with, with kids wanting to, to play for, for a coach who's not going to, you know, chain them up it is definitely something that at least makes an attractive program to play for. And then, you know, if he can kind of transition that to drop the hammer at some point and get strict, like we've seen with, like you say, JD's development. I, I completely forgot Jared Hensley was on the team recently, to be, to be frank with you, which is um, a good sign, I would say. Um, and, and yeah, the other thing I wanted to say is just like the, the defense is getting better, too. Um, and that's something that needs to be a staple of, of Wes Miller because realistically, he's not a great offensive coach. Um, I remember even watching UNCG play. Um, there was just a lot of athleticism, a lot of lockdown defense, and the offense was very similar to this. It was kind of go down the court and, and figure it out. Um, but if that defense is, 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 you know, firing on all cylinders, we're forcing turnovers, getting points in transition, you know, a lot of our pilot reel or, you know, house exploding plays have all been in transition lately. And I think in terms of Bearcat basketball, that's a pretty good brand to, to stick to because points off turnovers are huge. Um, so turns out, turns out defense wins games, right? Turns out it, tur it turns out it actually, <laughs> it does in fact win you a lot of basketball games. And I think, travels. yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was, that was the most thing that was jarring to me. The thing that was most jarring to me in, in the early days of West Miller was how lackadaisical the defense was. 
I, I've never watched basketball for a team I root for. So Bearcat basketball, I've never watched a, a team give up so many uncontested layups or back get backdoored the way they do. And it's not like those things still don't happen. They do. Obviously, when you have Jeremiah Davenport on the court playing major minutes, he's going to get exposed at times. David DeJulius, for as good as he can be, he's also very small. and There's ways to take advantage of him. Landers Nolly got caught in that Central Florida game multiple times with backdoor, backdoor cuts. Um but it does overall, like big picture, seem to be trending into a more consistent space where, you know, you you have a game against Central Florida where they're holding them to 20 points and a half, which I thought would be unfathomable for this team um, watching them earlier this season. So I think all those things are favorable. Uh, getting back to your point about the press conference moment, for those who didn't see it, it was exactly what Mitch described. It's Landers Nolly, Jeremiah Davenport at the podium. They finish their comments and then they come back. Landers Nolly basically says, wait a minute, wait a minute. Best coach I've ever played for. Favorite coach I've ever played for. Something along those lines. And I think Jeremiah kind of reiterates it saying what he said. I put zero stock in that. I, <laughs> I, I put, here's what I put in it. I put, yeah. I put 5% stock in that. And that's because it's to put a bow on ex- pretty much what you said, but I'm just going to say it very emphatically. Yeah. Of course, Jeremiah Davenport would love playing for Wes Miller, right? We've seen, this guy become one of the most undisciplined players in the history of Bearcats basketball playing for West Miller, zero accountability, zero discretion in terms of what shots he's taken. And to me, of course, he, you know, Hey, he still puts me in the game. I love playing for this guy. This is amazing. There's, this is amazing. I get to do whatever I want. It's like Devereaux summer league out here. So when it's, it's okay. Like it's an annual tradition now hearing players say this about Wes Muller because Mason Madsen said the same thing before the season started last year. He's like, this is the best coach in the country. We've got him and and it's going to bear out. I think guys love playing for him. And I think I want that to translate to recruiting. I want guys to come here because Wes Miller is a guy that lets you be yourself. I think there is something to that, right? Like we see Jim Bayheim up in, in Syracuse, like that, that shit doesn't fly anymore. You can't be a Jim Beheim. You really can't like it's you probably can't be Bob Huggins. You can, you have to be someone who's more willing to let guys be themselves and certainly express their personalities on and off court. But then you there needs to be a little more give and take there with regard to to how you play and the style you play. But I, there's obviously room for West to be more do more coaching. You know, do more holding people accountable for the decisions they make on the court. And I think he's starting to do that. I think that comes with the 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 tough decisions to leave guys on the bench and not give them those free minutes. But I also think you're seeing we're seeing two games of Jeremiah Davenport not being a complete detriment to the team. And I think that that does say something. It's probably taken longer than it should, but there is something to um being liked as a coach in this area. Yeah, and, and I want to just say one thing too is realistically, I think I forget this myself, but this team's missing a starter. Um, and it has been the whole season. Um, if John Newman's playing, he's playing 30 minutes a night. Uh, I'm pretty confident in that, you know, he's a senior. I know he, like, he has a shortcoming, sure, but he's the kind of guy that this team actually really needs in the sense of senior leadership, energy plays, defense, steady. Like, he was very consistent. You know what you're getting, you know, dives on the floor to get the balls. Um, he's actually pretty good in isolation, too. Like, you know, when we need a shot, he can he can throw something up and I'm sure he's shooting at a higher clip than Micah, which is, again, not saying much, but, <laughs> um, you know, but when you think about it that way, right, like he was in the plans this season. So 
you know, if he's playing 30 minutes a night, you know, we're taking away from JD, we're taking away a bit from Micah, like everyone's a little more evened out. And I know injuries happen in college basketball. It, it's very common. But um, if we had a guy like that, I, I think we'd be feeling even better about this team, quite frankly, because, you know, Josh Reed probably gets a little less, Skillings gets a little less, just, you know, more steady in and out. And again, with that Houston game, I think if we had John Newman, we win that game. Like, and I already do think we should have won that game, but um, it's, it shouldn't, it shouldn't go unnoticed that we are missing a starter and have been for the whole season. So um, with that kind of in the, in the mix of things, I, I do think this season is, is definitely, you know, a positive overall, especially when you're looking at some results across the country, right? Like there's a lot of teams that were supposed to be a lot better than us and are quite frankly, worse than us. So um, feeling good, but what's it- your thoughts? It wasn't lost on me that the first few recruits of West Miller's tenure, at least coming out of high school, were guys like Daniel Skillings, Josh Reed, Rayvon Griffith, guys who have like 6'6", six, 6'5", six, 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 height, length, wing athleticism. And then when you compared it to the current roster, that there was a dearth of that on, on the roster. We're loaded with small guards and we had bigs. And then John Newman was sort of like this unicorn on the team of, of being an athletic wing who can defend, who can get out and transition. Cause D- Jeremiah Davenport has that size, but he has very slow feet. He's not an explosive wing player. He's more of a spot up shooter. So I do think that Newman was a big loss. He's also an injury plagued player historically in his career. So you're probably not relying on him for a full season anyway, but at this point, you know, I'm, I'm definitely on team red shirt, give him that red shirt year, let John Newman come back next season because he is the type of profile and he has the type of athleticism that will stack up in the big 12. Is he skilled enough? Probably not. Like, is he, is he the perfect world player long-term? Not necessarily, but he's certainly a stopgap who would allow you to defend and he can, he's a guy you could put on a team's best wing and expect him to make a difference. So I certainly think that that played a big role um, in, in the team losing him prior to the season. Um, but man, Estrella, Estrella, my boy, Micah Adams Woods, I'm pretty sure his three point percentage is still hanging in there above Jeremiah Davenport's. It's a 33% wow. after central you know, Florida. I, Micah is the one guy who I have, I, I ride for Micah, man. I, I think he does so many things, right. He just can, he's such an inconsistent shooter and it's, it's, it, it drives you crazy. Right. Cause I know he's undersized, you know, I, I, he's not the highest recruit, but he's been essentially a staple of this team since he was a freshman. And as much as every single year he gets replaced, he ends up playing 30 minutes a night. So, you know, yeah. it's, it's, it's incredible that he's just hung in there and, you know, by all accounts, I think he's a pretty good guy, you know, on and off the court. Like I've never heard, you know, anything about Micah. He always has the right attitude, like seems locked in. So I, I just wish he could get his shots to fall at a more consistent clip because he has got to be the one of the worst players around the rim I've ever seen in, in my life. It's just like his, his layups are, um, leave a lot to be desired. <laughs> his, his, his layup package is the anti anti Kyrie Irving, basically. Like yeah. he can't finish around the rim if you contest it now, but what coaches like about him is like, you know, other than the shooting, you know, exactly what you're going to get. Yeah. You know, he's not going to, he's not usually going to go outside of his wheelhouse. He's not going to have a lot of turnovers. He'll have some assists, and then on his good nights, when he knocks down open shots, he looks like a really valuable player because of that consistency. But yeah, the shot just never really came around. It's it's a big jump from last year. I mean, it's hard to believe that this year he's shooting significantly better than he did last season. 
And overall, it's been a much better season for him. And I'm, I'm glad to see him kind of ride off into the sunset on a good note. But yeah, I, I kind of, I, I like him. I, I don't mind him, but man, it would be nice if that shot would, if he'd make those two threes a game that are just wide open. Nobody yeah, within, with a touch. Especially a guy distance. named Shuey, right? You know, <laughs> but uh, um, if we can, I, I, I got to talk about Vic Locke in here. I'm, Please. I'm dying. Dude. The guy yeah. is incredible. Um, Like when you talk about a star to build around, the thing I love about him is he's not really going to get NBA, NBA people excited at this point. He's locked in for the four years, right? Like he's going to be with us. He's what? Lock it, lock in for the. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, when we transition to the big 12, I mean, he has to be the centerpiece, right? Like um, he's the guy that we build around and he's the people that we, we, we lure guards here to say, you're going to get to play with Vic Lockett, right? Because I think this is, this is so obvious to me, but yeah. which you would be amazed at the amount of people on Twitter, which look, I hate doing that because Twitter is an insane place and it's not yeah. for, for rationality, but the reality, like this guy is the best player on the team easily. Far, far, and it's not, not even, even close. No. And he's right. Go ahead. No, keep going. I'm just that it's emphatic. He's he's very, very good at basketball. And frankly, his points per game could be like five to six points a game higher if we simply had more consistent distribution of the ball to him. Yeah, I mean, I like I I think Nolly's a very skilled player in terms of consistency. He leaves some to be desired. You know, he's not a menace defensively. He takes plays off. And um, David DeJulius, as much as he's, I would say, the heart and soul of this team, he's very um, inconsistent. And people on the Discord would know that I'm not a huge fan of his shot. I, I think he is very much a chucker and he doesn't have a great stroke. He has great moves to, to get his shot. But in terms of his actual shot, if he had a cleaner stroke, he would be an incredible player. But I, Well, I have a theory, too, that anyone who's who teaches himself an amazing step back can't stop doing the step back. Like this is ex- essentially the same problem James Harden had. Once you learn a devastating step back, it's really hard to quit that move. But even his, his floaters, like he just does not have rim touch. It, it's, no. it's, it's tough because like I say, he would be incredible. And uh, like I say, by, by all means, he's the heart and soul of this team off the court. seems like an amazing guy. Does a lot of really cool stuff with the community, but it, it just, if, he, if only he had a smoother stroke because he does what he does despite being a relatively inefficient shooter. And I, I actually don't dig into the stats a ton. I, I go with what my eyes tell me. And my eyes tell me that he's he's not a good shooter. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, my eyes, my eyes tell me that when he took that step back three up one against Central Florida, like that hurt my st- it hurt my entire being. I was in excruciating pain as that shot went up. And when he buried it. I, I was surprised. I was pleasantly surprised. That's one of the things I wanted to tell you about, right? Because I think that's that's very much uh, reflective of the West Miller era where, you know, I don't think that was a play that was drawn up offensively. That was essentially your best player, quote unquote, best player getting his shot and, and hoping it goes in because if he misses that shot, that the outcome of the game could be very different and we're singing a different tune, right? So as much as we're getting the bounces recently, there's still some some critical you know reflection here that says maybe we lose that game and if we lose that game 
Central Florida started great. Their results lately have been terrible. So they have like, been. I, I, I caught I'll, myself. I caught myself because I was like, "This is the best win of the season. This is fantastic." And then I realized, "Oh, I haven't checked in on Central Florida in a while. They've been terrible." They're Johnny Dawkins is a horrible coach, and they've been sinking. Like they have more water than the Titanic right now. So it's uh, <laughs> it's tough. <laughs> well, we we let something that annoys us get the better of us. We should still uh, heap infinite amounts of praise on Vic Lockin. Oh my God. Where do you, where do you see this going? Like what, what, cause I, I, I have my theories. Um, when I talk to my dad, like on the phone, like we are both very giddy about Vic Locken and what, what this can yeah. turn into. What, what do you see this turning into the next two years? The, the goal has to be a 20 and 10 type of player, right? Has to be 20 points, 10 rebounds has to be. And, um, block wise, right. I, I, he could, he could realistically be getting, you know, up to five, some nights over five blocks a game, because the thing that I like most about him is he moves his feet really well for a big guy. Like when he gets switched onto, he can he can roll with the guards. He he's he's a very like smooth footed player. And I, I don't know. Again, I know we watch the press conferences and we're very like we dive into this, but his he sees the game really well. You know, when you hear him speak about it, you know, you're like, oh, a Russian guy. You know, doesn't speak the best English at times, but. His perception of basketball and his ability to see the court, know know what to do. He's a very high IQ basketball player. And then you combine that with his actual talent, which is incredible. Um, you're looking at the, the the centerpiece of the team going forward. And I mean, he should be the centerpiece right now. So um, if we can run the offense through him, and like I say, it sucks to be, or I guess sucks to be losing David to Julius next year. But when you, the, the pick and roll is a huge part of basketball and like, any point guard or any high quality shooting guard should want to play with a Vic lock-in. So that has to be a huge lure in the port in the portal, I would say. Um, and we should be able to get somebody pretty dynamic to, to match with him. Which is interesting, right? So you've got, you've got this center who I, I totally agree on the IQ thing. I think we're not even remotely tapping into his ability as a passer. He's averaging on the season, half an assist a game. And I wow. know that in this guy has the ability to get three to four assists a game based on his IQ and his knowledge of where guys are. But the the challenge and maybe the maybe the limitation of Vic Locken in a West Miller offense is that we're never going to tap into that because you don't have a lot of movement off ball. Like you're not going to see Vic get the ball high post and be able to like find cutters because there's not going to be cutters. That right. So <laughs> it, it, it is a little heartbreaking to think about that. I'm not sure that's coming. I'm not sure that's something that's going to be unlocked, but I do think that 20 and 10 is on the, very much on the table. And I just want people to realize like early season, the big indictment on Vic was that he couldn't stay out of foul trouble. And you saw lots of really stupid fouls. You also saw some unlucky fouls. He had a lot of bad calls. Oh. Early he, in the season, he, he is a target from the refs. I gotta say, he breathes on a guy and he's getting a whistle. It's it's frustrating. It's, it's been frustrating because some of it yeah. is him, but some, man, some of it is really bad calls. And he's really the bad. most again the most important player on the team. So we notice yeah. these things. For sure, he's he's been able to play four consecutive games of 33, 32, 29, and thirty four minutes. Yeah, on the season, he's averaging twenty four minutes a game, and about halfway through the year, it was twenty. So this guy has lots of room for growth, lots of more productivity on the table. Defensively, he's an anchor. He challenges shots extremely well. He moves without the ball well. When Nanders Lolly gets got that steal off the Jeremiah Davenport dunk, who's the oh, guy making ran. the hardest, oh quickest yeah. cut instantly? No doubt. Yeah. No no uh, second thought to it. Like, I'm making yeah. this cut. It's a layup. Boom. 
that was incredibly heads up. Like uh, there's not a lot of bigs that do that. I, I gotta say, like the second that turnover happened, he's at the rim running full speed. And I'll like, I mean, if think about uh, our boy, Chris Boat, what's Chris Boat doing in that situation? <laughs> <laughs> Fucking isolating, isolating in the post. Get me that ball for that drop step hook, bro. Dropping the elbow. <laughs> <laughs> needs, um, needs more and, cowbell, and my that, friend. One thing that did have me excited to say was, I mean, I, I do like I want to give West the kudos when I can and um you know working on the on the free throw shooting is is obviously big but the plan is to unlock some kind of three point shooting right and uh, again you have to keep your 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 expectations in check here but if he can at least be a mild threat from three I'm talking like Hayden Koval like you know someone who can just you know at least pull the defender out a little bit that goes a long way right because it's just adding that extra little dynamicism dynamicism there you know when you're going to the big 12 he's going to be competing against five-star centers five-star bigs right like in the acc or sorry the aac there's what maybe two big guys that are, are really can challenge vic but at the end of the day he's a big man in a small man's conference so um he's gonna find a lot more challenge next year but i hope that he's paired with some better shot creators that can help that out because it's all about spacing right and like you say there's not going to be a lot of movement that breaks my heart um but if we can at least have our biggest like the way i'm viewing him is you know there's some pretty dominant bigs around the country right now right but like zach ed for example you know seven four you give it to him he's a phenomenal passer he kicks it outside and when you have the combination of being so good inside with the ability to pass out um, even Hunter Dickinson, which is probably a better example for Vic because he's just not as dominant, right? But Hunter Dickinson is really good at catching it in the post and then, you know, just being taller than everyone else and kicking it to a great shooter and splash. So um, if we can get that going in the right direction, and I mean, thank God the Big 12 is, is kind of falling apart a little bit these days because if the Big 12 in December had me feeling like we were going to go 0-15 next year, but um, it's showing some cracks at least, which is <laughs> feeling giving me a little more hope for next year. They are, in fact, human. Um, yeah. You mentioned the fact we could lure some talent from the portal. We're not going to do the full breakdown of what next year's roster will look like, but we did get another commitment of a JUCO point guard in Davion Thomas. Mm-hmm who's someone, you know, it's early days. When I read the article from Justin Williams about his game, when I'm watching him online, it very much seems like he's a tenacious defender, on-ball defender. He's undersized, though. You're looking at another 6'1 guard to pair with Jizzle James, who also doesn't have a ton of size. But both guys are very athletic, but I don't necessarily have proof that either of them has the basketball savvy to pair with a Vic Locken and really maximize his potential. But I, I knowing that they're both sort of here and, and in line to be our key guards and then the potential of Micah Adams Woods returning for that fifth year, that COVID bonus year. I don't look, I don't really want to see Wes Miller go after another small guard at this point or another guard that can pair with Vic Locken. You know, I'd, I'd rather see us get more size, frankly, because we're so reliant on Vic Locken being a 30 minute per game guy and being elite because otherwise there's nothing on our team from a size. Standpoint. I'm, I'm going to be honest. I, if the expect, if we have any expectation of either Jizzle or Thomas next year, we're doing something wrong because <laughs> the, the, the expectations have to be about zero for them next year, because those guys are, are, are fresh. And the big 12 is not a joke. Like they will get eaten alive. And, I, and I, I have I have no time. expectations for Jizzle. Like I think t- he's a fifty. He's a, he's a top fifty guy. But D- Daniel Skillings, Josh Reed these these guys were not top fifty, but they were highly regarded. 
it's hard to come in as a freshman to play college basketball. I was really high on both of those freshmen and they're playing very low competition with our non-conference and our current American athletic conference slate. They are overmatched, right? The game's moving too fast for them. Daniel skillings to me looks like a guy who's only been playing basketball from since ninth grade. That's very apparent. Everything's he's either a gunner or he's making slow decisions. Right. And he's definitely a step slow on defense. It's going to take our freshmen some time to adapt. So we do need established players. The reason Thomas has a little bit more expectation from me is that he's a junior college player and you are supposed to be a little more ready when you come into D one to play and to contribute. But our history of, of Juco point guards is like Jihad Mohammed. And honestly, looking at, looking at Davion's highlight tape, he looks more athletic than, than Jihad, but all, all in all his game actually looks kind of comparable. So I'm sure people are going to be upset for that comparison. That's kind of what I'm picturing from Davion Thomas. Again, with the most respect here, I'm also factoring in that Wes Miller is their coach and he's not going to do them many favors offensively. Um, you know, to call spade a spade, it's uh, it's going to be a, a really rough year if those guys are getting consistent minutes. Um, and that's why, like, I don't think it's out of the question that, you, you know, there it's pretty frequent, you know, if you look at um, who's our Indiana transfer this year, I'm just names Rob Finnessy. Yeah. If you look at Finnessy, right. Uh, maybe Micah goes that direction, you know, plays four years here, graduates transfers, and we can maybe bring in a, a more serviceable guard for the big 12 level, because I'm going to be honest with you. I don't, Micah is a Bearcat true and true. I, I think he's, he's been a great transition guard for this program and he represents the, the program really well, but um for his own success like Micah would be so good in like the a10 or, or something where he could just you know his size wouldn't be such a factor um and guy's six three like, i know but he really doesn't he doesn't scream it right like no he doesn't yeah so it's uh it's tough so you know i i wouldn't rule that out him graduating as a senior a true senior and then and transferring and then we can maybe fill that spot with somebody more big 12 ready I like, I like that idea because in my head, I was like, I, I kind of hope that we get to celebrate Micah and Jeremiah Davenport this season. And this is their farewell. And we, we have two additional spots to use in the portal. Yeah. But then I also went back to cap space, which now you have to think about that in college basketball. And can we get a better option in the portal than those two guys? And when I hear things like Jeremiah Davenport potentially commanding six figures in the portal last year, my instinct tells me probably not because I know we're going to, if, if Landers Nolly comes back next season, that's a hell of an NIL deal. Rayvon Griffith, hell of an NIL deal. Jizzle James, hell of, a, hell of an NIL deal. So my thinking is we've probably allocated quite a few resources to getting the guys that are already committed to play next season. How much do we actually have left? We'll never know the answer to that unless I you know break into the Cincy uh, Reigns server and and kind of hack their system to see what the what the situation looks like but we're, we've already got quite a bit of dollars allocated for next year i'm just gonna be honest that saddens me you know that's that's a, that's a tough way to look at it right i mean the way the way i'm pitching it money aside is you have a chance to be starting guard in the best conference in the country and i i don't know how that competes with with again the nil deals but the, the chance to be a starting point guard in the big 12 cannot go unnoticed just from an opportunity perspective. It shouldn't, but I've heard that Wes Miller walks into these rooms and the first questions he, he's asked is what, how much, how, how much, 
which it's like that's to me that that's college basketball losing sight of what it is and it is yeah. what's going to eventually make it less fun for people because then it becomes semi-professional professional sports like i there's professional sports exist we pay players they're the best in the world this is not that and it, it'll be a tough sell if that's what what continues to happen but anyway that's me digressing into what could happen and it's it's speculating on cap space that i don't even know whether or not we have limitations but it's yeah. just it's the way i'm now thinking about this sport yeah. Mitch, I appreciate you subbing in here for Hummer. This was a fun conversation. I hope people enjoyed it. I, th- I know they will enjoy it because uh, look, the team's the team is peaking. I'll, I'll, I'll leave you with this. How do you feel about what should we expect from the Bearcats closing out the season? When you when yeah. you look at the, at the at the remaining schedule, where we're at in the standings, what is your expectation of the team? So I think I was I was breaking it down earlier, right? And I think the absolute worst case here is four and three to close out the season, right? Which brings us to I know it bring us to eleven losses. How many wins though? Um, about what, 22? twenty two. Twenty. Twenty. Okay. Twenty. Twenty and eleven, right? And I I think that's a successful season. Um, I I do think we're worse than Memphis. I I don't think that's a question. You know, I think Memphis beats us seven times if we play ten. Um, so you know, if if we can get to the AAC conference final game. I think that's an accomplishment in itself. Um, like Houston has to be considered the odds on favorite to win the league, right? I would put like, it's gotta be at 90, 95% that they're winning the league, right? If, if not even higher. So um, if we can at least beat a Memphis, you know, I, I don't think Tulane's a slouch. Um, not a big fan of Temple, but they seem to play well against us. So um, like I say, four and three worst case, but, but even if we can, you know, stick to 10 losses, make the AAC final, lose to Houston in a respectable manner. That's a good season. Like tournament is not in the cards. Let's be, let's be frank. Um, I don't think playing in the NIT is as big of an embarrassment as other people seem to do. I think tournament experience on any level is a good thing. I think extra basketball is a good thing. Um, I've watched NIT and it's good basketball. People care about it and it's, it's elimination games. So if we get that invitation, I'm not going to be like, oh, it's the NIT. Like that's, I'm excited about that. And for this team, the youth we have, it's a chance to just keep kind of peeling the onion and see what we have. So um, overall, I think it's a successful season. I think we've left some to be desired, but at the end of the day, we're moving in the right direction. And at least recently we're seeing more things that I know you and I have discussed that we didn't like, and those things are, are turning a corner, hopefully. Um, and, and that leaves at least like I said at the start I see the light at the end of the tunnel I'm not 100% convinced we're going to get that low there's at least the light (laughs) I pretty much agree with you with what you're saying there we're evaluating it with seven games to go and so to me it's extremely important that we close well with these seven games four and three is the bare minimum when I look at the schedule we should be easily be four and three I would like to see us go five and two minimum um, which would require us, you know, winning a couple tougher games, right? A road game at Tulane, a road game at UCF. I'd love to see a road game at Memphis because that would be one of those big wins that that West Miller is badly looking for at this point. So, ideally, we close this thing out five and two, finish twenty one and ten in the regular season, and we'll see how the standings shake out. But I think that could be good enough potentially for the two seed, maybe three. Um, that's what I'm looking for for from the Bearcats is to to finish this thing strong, finish with momentum heading into the offseason. And Mitch hit the nail on the head. Do not act too cool for the NIT. We are not. 
we are in a very bad way the last several years as a basketball program. Playing our way into the NIT would be a big accomplishment for the team. We should want those games. We should want those stakes. And we should want that momentum heading into 2023-24. Thanks, Mitch. Absolutely, man. Thanks for having me on. Cheers, buddy.